person. But when he got in the pulpit, I think he probably just let her fly as God gave it to him. And you either accepted it or you didn't. Uh, This morning, I want to try to talk to you a little bit about some things that I think is important. You probably might already know it, and you may not. It won't hurt for us to go over it again if you already know it. But I want to remind you that Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke through parables. He told stories so as we could understand it better. And I've heard people say that uh, they'd never used nothing but the King James Version of the Bible, and that's all right. I have no problem with it. It's a good version of the Bible. It stood the test for years. But I also thank the Lord for other versions of the Bible that helps people like me to understand what's going on uh, as it speaks in the King James Version. Because I'll have to be honest with you, sometimes I have to stop and read it again when I'm reading the King James, but I keep my King James. I use my King James. But I use also, as I've told you before, uh, two or three other Bibles just to help me understand more plain what he's saying. Now, you may not have that problem, and thank God if you don't, but I just need all the help I can get. So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning, beginning in the parable of Matthew 9 and 17. It's talking about old wine and new wine and old wineskins and new wineskins. But just above there, in verse 16, it says, something about cloth. And I'm going to paraphrase that if you allow me to. Uh, it's saying that we don't uh, take and mend a garment, uh, an old garment, with a new piece of cloth. Now, if you had something cotton in your life and it was the old cotton, a lot of the new cotton is, is relaxed, they call it, and it's uh, pre-shrunk and it's not supposed to shrink anymore. But, but when I grew up, they had cotton shirts and when you bought one, you better buy it a size large or it'd be a size small when you put it on. And uh, uh, when you put it on, after it was washed, it would wrinkle to high heaven. Uh, uh, I really didn't like cotton. It was for years before I would wear anything cotton. Not because of that, but because I know what it is to pull an ignorant stick, to chop cotton. That's what they call holes in, in the south when you chop cotton, an ignorant stick, because most folks, they said it chopped cotton were ignorant and uneducated, uh, they couldn't get another job, so they're out there doing that. I've chopped cotton for $3 a day, from 6 to 6, with an hour off for lunch. Now, you think you got a, a, a not a good-paying job today, try that on for size. But uh, uh, I didn't like cotton because I grew up in cotton, and so I stay away from it, but I understand cotton a little bit. Uh, he, the writer was telling us, if you take and put a new piece of cloth on an old cloth, uh, it's not going to work out because when you go to wash it, it's going to gather, the new piece of cloth is, it's going to shrink and do some things that the old cloth is not going to do. And when it tears or loose, it'll be worse than it was before you started. And then it drops down in, into uh, 9 and 17, and he says, nor do they put new wine in old wineskins. Don't put new wine in old wineskins. Well, now, wineskins was, in the day, we didn't have glass jars. We didn't have ceramic uh, uh, different things. Uh, 
they made vessels out of uh, uh, hide or, or leather to, uh, to carry liquids in, especially wine they put in there. They would stitch and sew around it, and uh, if you've watched much history's channels, you'll find out that uh, they were pretty crude looking, some of them, but it worked. Uh, there would be a string. Most of the time it's sewed out of rawhide, and, and uh, they'd take and twist the rawhide around it and tighten the neck up where it wouldn't leak out, or maybe they would put a stick down in it. Uh, uh, maybe there's different ways to do it, but I know it was wine skins, and it became a, it became a vessel or a house to house the wine in uh, until it was used. And so the writer here is, is telling us, and Jesus speaking, uh, it says, nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins would break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. It says, but they put new wine in new wineskins, and both are preserved. I, 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 probably you've already got it, but I thought about it, and I want to share this with you as, as we get in this. I, I see when I read this, I see... God uh, using that story, Jesus using it uh, for us to understand, that there's an old life and a new life. And I've often wondered why that people would come to the altar many times and get up and go back out and I wouldn't see them anymore, maybe for a long time, or maybe I'd see them two or three times and all of a sudden they would just disappear into the county or to the state someplace and wouldn't see them anymore. And I'd hear about them and they would be back doing the same thing they used to do. As I begin to read and begin to meditate upon the scripture of the wineskins, I begin to realize and see the picture there of the person that I've seen that got up from the altar and went back out in the world. You have to have a changed spirit in order for this new wine to settle. It has to have a new vessel to be poured into. You can't pour this that Jesus talks about, this that God has given us, the mercy that he's given us from the throne of grace through Jesus Christ, for him to die on the cross for us. And, and somebody tell you now, if you will go down to the altar and, and ask God to forgive you and come into your heart, uh, uh, that you'll be a different person because you've got to want to be changed. If you don't want to be changed, you go back out just like the pig and water in the same place you used to be. You can pour the new wine into the old skin, and it may last a little while, but the Bible tells us that it would break. It can't hold this new wine. Paul said in another place, he said, the natural mind or the carnal mind can't comprehend the things of God. There's some things that God gives his people that my natural mind could never understand. And so why would it be like that? Why could that happen? Well, sometimes people come to the altar because uh, they're such a good praise and worship. They, they was convicted to come to church and so much conviction in the church, they just come down to the altar. It's kind of like somebody sometimes uh, being in a canoe and you got five people in there and three people paddling. The other two are just riding along. They get in there, but the minute they get to the bank, they've got to put some effort in going on their own. When you leave the church house, you have to stand up to what's out there. And just because you come to an altar don't mean you can go back out and just drift 
Because this new wine, this new wine has to have a vessel that was created for it. Just in the natural man cannot receive that God has to first draw you to him. And when he draws you to him and you all give your heart to him, that is just, you just come to the place to where, as I see it, you have a new wine sack to put the wine in. But see, God, uh, he forgives us and he saves us in our spirit, and, but he leaves us something to do. We have to be willing to untie the strings around the wine sack or the vessel because the wine sack is a house to house the wine in. And you and I are the house uh, uh, that God is housing the new wine in that have been to an altar and asked the Lord to come into our heart. But even when you've done that, you have the power to close off the, your spirit and not allow it to be poured in. How bad do we want the new wine in our life? Are we satisfied with just coming to an altar and, and asking God to forgive us? Because if we do that, the Bible tells us he's sure to forgive us. But we need to realize that we need to, we need to do something ourselves. We need to be in charge of this vessel or this wine sack that he's given me. And I need to know that it's for me to undo the wrapping around the neck of it and open up my mind and allow it, let it flow in. There's not a preacher on the sun that can make you receive what he preaches from the pulpit. He can preach the best message there is all about Jesus and his mercy and his saving grace. But it's up to you and I to accept the message. And we have to allow it to flow into us. And we have to carry it because new wine only will stay in a new wine sack. I've, I watched people in phone many years it troubled me how people could come up and act like they got it and go back out and not see them anymore they did come up and got it but i think somehow or another they were still an old wine sack and they couldn't stand the pressure trying to understand all the things going on you see i think uh, that uh, uh, a trick to it is we need to get into God's Word, and we need to study God's Word. We need to keep this wine sack pure and fresh for the new wine. We need to be that new wine sack. And a new wine sack is made for new wine. You can't go back out and put old wine into the new wine sack. That won't work either. See, that's putting the fleshly uh, things into that. And so... I wanted to start with that to share something with you. I don't know where all we're going this morning, but we'll try to make it as quick as possible. Hang with me. And it said, who would use old wine sacks to store new wine for the old skin would burst with the pressure. My goodness, I can't understand how God can take a, a guy like me and, and change me. I don't know how a guy can come down to an altar. I had a man sitting in the back of the church one time. He was high as a Georgia pine, as they'd say in the south, and he came up here. And he got up from here sober, walked back out, and been going sober straight ever since running for the Lord. I don't know how God can do that. 
I don't even understand how you can feed green grass to a brown cow and get white milk and it's sweet and set it on a shelf and let it sit there and it'll sour and not, not good for anything and you can and beat it and sweet yellow butter will come to the top. I can't explain you that. I can't explain to you, uh, if I can explain, how can I explain to you the great things of God, how that, that he can just uh, accept me when I ask him to come into my heart, and he'll do that. And when he does that, that he'll give me the courage, and he'll give me the want to, to follow him after that. Amen. Praise, God. Praise God. What I do know is that God loves every one of us. And God gave his son, he died for us. That's how much he loves us. People will get upset with you. Your best friend will turn on you. You may get mad at your sister or your brother not speak for five years, but Jesus won't do that. He's there waiting with arms open. He loves you no matter where you are or how you are. There's a parable of the Good Samaritan. I want to share with you also. It's in 10, Luke 10, 30 and 35 with the old thing. But I'm not going to go that far, I don't think. I may, but I don't think so. And 30 says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from, Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. Now, part I want you to get a hold of a priest happened to be going down the road. And he was so busy about his job, he didn't even have time to cross over the road and look on him. A little after that, a Levite, a temple worker, somebody that worked in the temple, he saw him. And he came to the place he was on the other side. And then he went on. He didn't have time to to fix the problem. Uh, we get so busy sometimes about going to church and being the church that people right under our noses need some, a good Samaritan to come by, and yet we don't uh, uh, have time to stop. But oh, I look at the next verse, and it said, but a Samaritan, a person that was a nobody according to the, to the somebodies in that time, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now, this was a man that wasn't a church-going fella. He wasn't part of the church. Uh, they had nothing to do with him, but, and he was on a busy schedule, I'm sure. He was probably a businessman, but he took time out of his schedule to not only go over across the road, but to stop and to, to give a helping hand. Listen. said, when he came to the man, or came where the man was, he saw him and he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, doing what? Pouring in oil and wine. Oil in the Bible in many places represents the Holy Ghost. Amen. And the wine represents the healing. In that day, they poured natural wine on a natural wound, a fleshly wound, to clean it up. And to kill the germ because there's alcohol in wine and alcohol kills germs. And then after bandaging him up, he took him to an end. 
he's still taking time out from his busy schedule. He didn't only take him to an inn, he spent the night with him in the inn, taking care of him. But he was a nobody. The priest didn't have time. The Levite didn't have time. But they was busy about church work. But here's a man don't even go to church, and he took time out from his schedule to do that. And what I liked about that, when I began to think about it, I read that to you because he poured in wine. Now, guess what? New wine vessels holding new wine, not earthly wine, heavenly wine, all of you that have asked the Lord to come into your heart are new wine vessels. But it's up to you whether you keep new wine in your vessel or you try to cheat a little and put up some old wine in your vessel. And when you begin to do that, now I mean revert back to do the way you used to do. Now I can talk on that a little bit because when I first got saved, show you how carnal sometimes folks that just got saved can be. I was more carnal probably then than I was before I claimed to get saved. I was really a baby in the Lord, so I read someplace in there. Don't let your right hand know what you or, or your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And so I loved wine, earthly wine. But I claimed Jesus as Lord. Somebody here this morning might be like that. You might like to sip on your wine when nobody's around. We won't go there. I'll leave it hanging out there. You can chew on that for a few minutes. I got away with it for a while, sis. I would go in my house, and I, somebody said, well, Ben, you shouldn't do what, drink wine. I said, well, Jesus made wine. Jesus wouldn't do anything that wasn't good. If it's not good, he wouldn't have made it. I was half right. It tastes good. So I kept drinking my wine in my house, when I did, had a meal or when it was afternoon, I felt like a, I just wanted to relax. I'd get me a glass of wine. Some of you know what I'm talking about, social drinking. That's what we claim in society. A guy that don't have a house to live in, we call him a wino because he drinks wine. But if we got a house and a job, well, man, we're not wino. We're social drinkers. <laughs> Be careful. It'll show up. One day, my brother-in-law came over, and my brother-in-law was trying to serve the Lord. He had been an alcoholic, a pill popper, and whatever else you could think of, but he was trying to serve the Lord. He walked through my door, and before I'm sitting in the kitchen, he could see me before I could even put the glass up. He said, Ben, ain't you going to offer me a, a glass? He said, I'm saved too, and I can have a, just one and not have another one. But he had that glass, another glass, and the bottle was gone. And he went down to the corner and got a six-pack and then got a gallon of gallo. And, and I don't know where he went from there. I moved him with popping pills and doing it all. But guess what? Every morning I woke up, I worried about him because I was a tool and the instrument that the devil used through my hard-headedness and through my thinking that I was smart, that, that uh, I could do it and get away with it. And, and I felt like if he had died any time before he got right, God would hold it again me. Now, you can chew on that whether you want to or not, but this, uh, that didn't cost you nothing because that wasn't on my, my outline for today, so somebody here needed something, and, and I hope you'll chew on it good. But 
this, this, this Samaritan, he pours in wine, real wine, into a real, real fleshly wound. And so we that are new wine vessels, we ought to have some new wine in us, and we're not going to have new wine in us very much if we don't get into word and we get into prayer because that's how you begin to fill up. Because, see, uh, it's knowledge. It's knowledge. The only difference between somebody that just got saved and somebody that's bubbling on fire for God and knowing what they're talking about is one hasn't got there yet to get into the Word because your wisdom and your knowledge come from the Word that you have inside. And you got to want wisdom and knowledge in order to get it. And Jesus said, if you don't have wisdom and knowledge, ask him who has, and he'll give it to you. Jesus will give you wine, uh, wine, new wine from his word that will cause you to have whatever you need to give people that have spiritual wounds in their life. I ain't got time, but I think I could take you over to the fruit of the spirit and prove my point to you real well. Now, if you don't have anything, you can't give it away. There's a lot of empty wine sacks in the kingdom of God. New wine sacks that need to be filled. But I don't care how hard we preach, how long we preach, if you're not willing to take the string loose from the neck of your wine sack, in other words, if you're not willing to listen, and if you're not willing to uh, uh, do a little digging, if you're not willing to open up your mind and begin to hear what's being said, you'll always be an empty wine sack with the Lord's concern. But it's amazing to me. God said, you are the light of the world. And he tells us, don't hide the light. So he wants to use us, Brother Randall. But if we don't have nothing to give, how can he use us? It's up to the individual to get into your word. It's up to you that you apply patience with people. It's up to you that you be long-suffering with people. And those things, my friend, is what comes from being filled with new wine. You can't do it on your own. When you're on your own, you'll try to figure out a way to mix the old with the new. I'm an example, I know, but it'll, after a while, it'll burst in front of you, and all the witness you have will run out on the ground. Good Samaritan, he showed what a person really ought to be like. He bandaged him, bandaged his wounds, poured in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey. He took him uh, to care of him. Uh, he took him to the end, spent the night with him, and the next day when he had to leave and go on, he put money in the innkeeper's hand and said, it's any more than this when I come back, I'll pay the rest. The Spirit of Christ working through you will change what you do around people. It'll change the way you act and the way you carry on. It'll change uh, how much of your time you'll spend with someone that you really don't think you ought to spend with. It'll cause you to go out of your way. It'll cause you to, to look back and see when it could have been you that's in the same position that person's in. 
I, 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 I want to throw a couple more things on you. In Philippians 2 and 5, uh, and I'm reading from the King James and the New King James right now, but he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What do you think, what kind of a mind do you think Jesus had? Have you ever thought about that? It says, let this mind be in you that's in Christ Jesus. Well, when you begin to think about what it says, that was in King James. Let me take you that Paul is encouraging them not to try to have Christ's uh, uh, intellect, but to, he's encouraging them to have an attitude like Christ. See, we need to have an attitude like him. And so I want to I wanna give you, I think, three here. Uh, Philippians 2 and 5 in a New American Standard says, as it is written, uh, uh, let me, let me get, go down here for like, 5 says, uh, in the in New American Standard says, have this attitude, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. If I'm going to really reflect Christ in my life, I, I need to do it when I'm around people, don't I? I need to let people know that I've got the right attitude. And if I've got the right attitude, it's not all about me or my time. It's God and God's time. The NIV says your attitude, your attitude should be, and not only have this, but it should be, puts a little more pressure on it, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And I think about his patience and his long suffering. He could have called angels down from heaven and stopped the crucifixion, but he didn't. One place in scripture, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now listen to what the living Bible said. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the kind as shown us. Now, when I think about that, I can only deal with me because I, I know the kind of attitude that he showed me. And I know that I wasn't worthy of the attitude that he had, that he would die for a wretch like me. I know that it was out of his love and his compassion that he died on the cross and was resurrected and made a way for me because I know me. I didn't deserve any of it. And by the way, I don't think any of you did either. I can be bold and say that, but I know I didn't deserve any of it. It was just out of his love. But, and so when I think about that, I think about the rest that I was and the attitude that I had and, and the way that I thought, and yet he overrode all of that and just showed love to me and drawed me to him. Much like Brother Grandy said the first time I met him, that was the reason over here. He said, started walking down, he turned and looked back to me. He said, Ben, I love you. There's nothing you can do about that. It blew me away. Nobody ever said anything to me like that openly that I'd ever heard. And so I said, well, well, well thank you. That's all I could say. That's kind of what Jesus done. Jesus said, I love you, Megan. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. Uh, I love you and nothing you can do about it. I don't have to work for his love. 
He loved me before I ever knew what love was. And so we should have an attitude around people like he had for us. If I'm going to have the mind of Christ, I need to check my attitude. By the way, if you got a stubborn spirit, that's not of the Lord. If you got one of them spirits, you just won't turn loose like a bulldog with a bone mad at somebody and just won't turn loose. Just keep that up. That's not of the Lord. See, because Jesus never did that. There was times I argued with the Lord. There was times that I was bad as Peter with some things. I even tried to make deals with the Lord. I felt this call inside, Brother Randall, but I didn't want to do it. So I said, hmm, I felt like I was going to die. So if I didn't, if I didn't give in and say, Lord, I'll do it. So what I'm going to do, I'm getting out of church. And I said, hmm, I know what I'll do. I'll say, Lord, if you really call me to preach, you know, I try to make it like, I really don't know if you did or didn't, but all the time I knew I, they was calling me. Uh, if you really call me to preach, and it's not, and this is, it's it you call me, and it's not just me. Have somebody ask me next week. And that quick, Spirit spoke back to me, won't you ask me to do something I, I can do and nobody else can do? Anybody can do that. And I thought, oh my goodness, I don't want to ask that. You're right. That's what went through my mind. That's how carnal I was. Yet I was called to preach. I'd been trying to serve the Lord. And I, hmm, I know what I'll do. How many of you ever felt like you were smarter than the Lord? Hmm, I know what I'll do. If you really call me to preach, you have somebody ask me today before I get home. And I didn't feel under pressure no more. I just knew I had outfoxed the Lord. <laughs> Sounds probably crazy, don't it? Anybody that's dumb enough to think they can outfox the Lord. Guess what? We was on Tank Farm Hill, 10 minutes maximum if you had traffic, before we got to our destinations, wards in Richmond. Walked in the door. My wife is going to buy my two daughters' shoes, Liz and Lisa. Walked in the door. The lady's shoe department's on the left. We was going to get shoes. I was going to go straight home and shut the door, turn TV on, and not answer the phone or nothing for the afternoon. Walked in the door. Some of you remember Sister Smith. She said, Ben, I was just thinking about you. Won't you come preach for me next Sunday? You can't outfox the Lord. And don't dare stand up for that lie that, well, uh, uh, the, devil's, the devil's telling me this. It's all in my head. It's the devil. It ain't the Lord. Because the devil's never going to ask you to do something that favors the Lord. That's enough of that. Some of you might. That, that might be some. Some of you may be called here this morning and running. Well, I just want to take a moment to tell you that there is a class going on. It's a required class if you want to be in ministry in this church. 
And I'd tell you it's a required class if you want to be anything as a minister down the road because, you know, I thought about it some, but, uh, and I was hesitant to say it like that. But you know what? You can't always go by your feelings if you're a minister. And so you need to learn, if you're going to be a minister down the road, you need to learn that when that class is going to be, that put it on your counter and don't let nothing bump it off and, and be faithful to it. If you don't, you're not called. Is that all right, Brother White? That's all right. Okay. Praise the Lord. By the way, he's teaching that class. <laughs> and I'll promise you, you'll learn something if you'll get in there. You'll be glad you did. All right. I'm, I'm going to quit. I, I could go on a while further, but I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop there. Uh, I want to send you home uh, uh, happy and not sad. I haven't been too hard on you today. This is the last service of this year. Am I right? I could have uh, went a little different way, but I want to share that with you. I want to encourage you. Uh, in the coming year, make up your mind that you're going to have an attitude like Christ about people, that you're going to love them and have patience with them. You'll be long-suffering with them. And you know what it would do good if we'd purpose in our heart with God's help that we would go and try to reach somebody for the glory of the Lord this coming year. I say that every year, but if somebody would take that to heart, you would be so glad you did. All right, stand with me all over this place, will you?